The reading this morning is from Romans 8, 9 through 17. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Thank you, Eugenie. You know, just reading and hearing Romans chapter 8, I mean, that just tells us of just how glorious it is to be in Christ, to have his spirit, to be adopted, his, his children, to be able to call God Father. But you know, sometimes in life, it's as if, it's as if we're walking in a fog, we don't at times feel or even perhaps even sense God's presence. And sometimes going through life, it's like we're disappointed, we're discouraged, uh, we're still s- stuck in the, in the horizontal, and it seems even as Christians, we're like, there's got to be a, a, a better way. I, there, there, I read the truth of Scripture, but then I look at the experiences of my own life, and I'm like, something seems to be missing. And I want you to know, that is why the text that we're coming to today, as we're going through the book of Ephesians, is so important. Beginning Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, this is why this passage is so of such critical importance to every sing, single believer. It tells us that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The only way that you and I are ever going to experience the fullness of life in Christ is if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. But you're like, okay, but how does that happen? What does it really mean to be filled with the Spirit of God? How is one filled with the Spirit? And that's what we want to talk about today as we're coming to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. This will revolutionize the Christian life. This is absolutely essential. This is how we live. So let me just give you some context. So as we've been making our way through the book of Ephesians, we saw two weeks ago the importance of walking in God's wisdom. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. 
God intends to put his wisdom on display through his people. And then like we saw last week, the absolute critical importance of that every single believer walking in the will of God. And we took a whole Sunday to talk about what that looks like and even how do you discern God's will when it's not even expressly uh, written out in Scripture. If you missed those two messages, let me encourage you to just go to our website or check it out on Spotify because you want to really walk in God's wisdom and to know God's will. And the way that we do this, though, is found in verse 18. And that is, we are filled with his spirit. So take a look, chapter 5, verse 18. And he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. He says, Do not get drunk with wine. That is dissipation. It's utter waste. To be under the influence of alcohol. Why, it's, it shows up in your life. And some of your worst moments or moments that you have seen in others and having an effect on you is when alcohol is involved. To be drunk is to sin. It means to miss the mark. It's, it's utter waste. He says, you were to stop doing this, either to never get started or if this is your lifestyle, you are the guy or the gal that's just always got to have one, two, or more drinks at the, every day, at the end of every day just to kind of unwind and relax. And this is kind of your tonic that seems to soothe your soul. He's saying, I want you to know that that's, that's waste. You are missing the mark. Do not get drunk with wine, but rather, rather be filled with the Spirit. Now, to be filled with the Spirit, that is different than to being sealed with the Spirit. Remember in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says that when you and I believe, when we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, the fact that the eternal Son of God entered into humanity, he lived a perfect life, his death became our death for sin, for the wages of sin is death, and his resurrection not only authenticated to the world that he's God, but provides actual, real, genuine spiritual life by virtue of his resurrection for all those who will believe. So we are sealed with the Holy Spirit at the moment you truly trust and believe in Christ. We are marked out as one of his. We are kingdom citizens. We've been adopted into his family. We are, like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are now temples of the Holy Spirit. We have, like it says in 1 Corinthians 12, we have been baptized into Christ We have his spirit living within us. But here he's saying we are to be filled with his Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, being filled with the spirit, why it was rare um, and it it was something that happened on a very limited basis. But with the coming of Christ in the new covenant, there was for all who will believe in him, God's Spirit is going to live and dwell within every single believer. But here we see that we are to be filled with the Spirit. Just like Eugenie read in Romans chapter 8, like verse 9, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you're actually not one of His. But if you do have Christ, you do have the Spirit. So he says you are to be, verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit. And in the Bible, to be filled means to be controlled by. Okay, so let me give you some examples of that. To be filled with the Spirit, one's mind, emotions, 
will are under the control of the Spirit. So, like some examples of filling, for instance, Luke chapter 4, verse 28. You remember you have the, the folks that gathered in the synagogue in Nazareth? And when Jesus comes, he reads the scripture, and he says, I'm the fulfillment of that. And they're like, oh, no, you're not. We're not going to have you as our Messiah. And remember what they wanted to do? They were, it says they were filled with rage, and they wanted to throw him over the cliff. They were just overwhelmed with their anger and vindictiveness. Or like, remember when the, uh, the man with the withered hand, the withered right, withered right hand, he, he shows up at the synagogue. He was likely a plant by the Pharisees and the scribes because they wanted to see what Jesus would do on the Sabbath with a man who desperately could use healing. And remember, Jesus healed him, and it says they were filled with rage. Or in John chapter six, verse 16, verse 6, Jesus tells his disciples, he makes this statement, sorrow has filled your heart. You were overwhelmed with grief. It's not like you're a little sad. We all have times like that. But now sorrow has overwhelmed you. You have lost all hope. You literally now are dominated by sorrow. So when you come to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says this command, we are to be filled with the Spirit. And the word filled there, very interesting. Uh, first of all, it's plural. It means all of us. It's not individual. So you, you might just think like, every time I read Ephesians 5.18, I just think about you. And yeah, we need to get started with you or me, right? But it is collectively all of us. It's plural. And it is an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's a present imperative, meaning it's to happen as an ongoing lifestyle, as a way of life. It's not a one-time event. It's not something maybe happens once or twice a year, like at Christmas and Easter, I'm filled with the Spirit. No, it is to be a way of life, kind of like eating and drinking, breathing, right? These are things you regularly do, right? True? Uh, yeah, if, you've, if you're not eating, drinking, or breathing, you've got problems, right? You're probably not going to be with us very much longer. But if you are regularly filled with the Spirit, why God's influence in your life becomes manifest. And here, it's also interesting in the Greek, this is actually a passive imperative. And just to explain that, that means that, yes, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, but who does the filling? God does. We can't fill ourselves. God fills us. And so this is to be a way of life. So to give you kind of a definition, you're like, well, okay, well, okay, I'm starting to get the, the realization, like, well, being filled with the Spirit, this is news to me, but, whoa, this is something I'm supposed to be doing as a way of life. Well, what does that look like? Well, let me just tell you. I'll, I'll give you just a, a simple description. Being filled with the Spirit is the intentional dependence and delight in God and trusting in his spirit to guide one's thoughts and behavior. It's intentional. It's intentional dependence and delight upon God. It's trusting in his spirit to guide and govern your thoughts and behavior. This can be done in just simple expressions of prayer. It began while you're driving. Just as you go through the day, we are connecting with God and we're asking him, Lord, fill me with your spirit. 
And when we do so, why, it really affects all aspects of life. Being filled with the Spirit, it's, it's how we walk in the Spirit. And let me just tell you what this looks like. When we ask God, God, would you fill me? I would like your peace and perspective. I need your help and your hope. I need your strength and your wisdom. God, I'm delighting in you. I'm seeing your excellencies. I am depending on you, God, for you to do your work. And when, when we do this, God fills us with his presence. He gives us his perspective. We once again have that sense of experiencing and knowing his, his power. His precepts are called to mind. When we're filled with God's spirit, why, he fills our heads? Like our hearts all of a sudden are changed. We're, we're now reoriented back to the things that are important to God. We start seeing people as he sees them. The, the hurts in our life, when we're filled with the Spirit, guess what? God comes and helps address those issues. And all of us have been hurt. And God doesn't want us just to remain in a situation where we're just, we're just bleeding out and we're just hurt, but he wants to minister his grace. He does that as we're filled with the Spirit. Those horrid sins in our life, guess what? When we're filled with the Spirit, God brings cleansing. There's repentance and confession on our part because God is at work. He's addressing his people. Our habits, what we do with our hands, the hope of his presence, all of this comes from just being filled with the Spirit. You're going to find that your direction, your depth of devotion, uh, decisions, your relationships are all going to be positively benefited Every time, we just simply delight and depend upon God. We're asking for his power, his presence, to influence our lives, our thinking, our behavior. And the fruit of the Spirit is going to be manifest, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That fruit is going to be expressed. You will experience it, the people around you. And fruit has seeds. Those seeds get planted. It can become contagious This is the normal Christian life. We are on an ongoing basis being filled with his spirit. And I want you to know that this is in contrast to living in the flesh. So if you're not asking God, coming to him to be filled, what happens is we just start developing patterns where we're just kind of functioning in the flesh, doing life life apart from God, yet knowing God, right? Been there? I, 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 I have. You're going through motions, but you're missing the reality of the fullness of the relationship. And here's something that's fascinating. Do you know that to be spirit-filled is to be word-filled? And to be word-filled is to be spirit-filled. So you're familiar, 518, and you know what's coming next in verse 19 about how we're to speak to one another and singing. But I want you to know, the exact same realities come when we are word-filled. Like, for instance, it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So we've been talking about being filled with the Spirit. Now he's saying, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And notice the exact same results. With all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Do you see that to be word-filled is to be spirit-filled and vice versa. Why is that? Because who is the divine author of Scripture? 
Why, it's the Spirit of God. And it's the Spirit of God that applies these truths and awakens us to the excellencies and the glories of God, to see the beauty of Christ, to know his goodness and his, his greatness. It's the Spirit of God who has given us the Word. It helps us actually apply the truths and the imperatives that God has given us in his Word. And so the Spirit of God and the Word of God, they work in tandem. They're given to us by God himself. And so there are effects that come when we are filled with the Spirit, this ongoing reality. I want you to know that if you're filled with the Spirit on a regular basis, you look and you behave and you think differently than if that was not the case. So we certainly are familiar with the effects of alcohol, right? We've seen it, maybe in your own life, maybe in the lives of others, You see how it affects speech and thinking and decision-making. And a lot of bad things happen when you've given yourself over to drunkenness. But what does it look like when you're filled with the Spirit? Well, that's what you find in beginning in verses 19 through 21. The first thing I want to point out is that when you and I, when our lives are filled with the Spirit of God, we'll be encouraging one another. Take a look, verse 19. When we are filled with the Spirit, he says, verse 19, we'll be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we're, first of all, it's going to affect how we talk. We will be speaking to one another of God, his goodness, his greatness, and he he talks about the fact that the truth of God will be featured in how we talk. It'll come up in conversation. It doesn't mean that's the only thing that we talk about. No, we can talk about a wide variety of things, and we should, and do. But because we are filled with the Spirit, we'll also have a reference point, and we'll be unashamed of the gospel, and we will be even looking for opportunities to speak of God and how he might be working, or to point people back to Christ. And so he says we should speak to one another, and he says, first of all, in Psalms, these are the Old Testament Psalms that that recount the experiences of the faithful, praising God, cherishing him, going through great difficulty, feeling like you're persecuted. Some of the Psalms actually address the times where we can't even sense God's presence. You ever been there? You're like, God, I didn't even know where you're at. All I see is misery, and it looks like my total destruction coming in front of me. And yet, I will trust in you. Not based on my feelings, certainly not based on my circumstances, but I will trust in you, the ultimate reality. So we speak to one another with psalms and hymns. These hymns would speak specifically of Christ. Some of the hymns actually uh, encaptured different parts of Scripture, or to speak one another with like spiritual songs that just speak of doctrine, of our experiences with God, expressing spiritual truth. But I want you to know that when you and I are spirit-filled, we will actually encourage one another with truth. And we will speak the encouragement that is given to us in Scripture. And boy, don't we need encouragement. I want you to know that every single person, like the people around you, whether you're married to them, they're your kids, or they're your neighbor, or they're just a fellow person in the church, I want you to know they absolutely need encouragement. And a little bit of encouragement will go a long ways. I, mean, I know that from firsthand experience. I mean, just sometimes just a, just a few words of encouragement, that's, that's like all I need, man. I can get a lot of mileage just out of a few words. 
Max Lucado uh, writes of his experiences of actually training for and then competing in a half Ironman uh, triathlon. And um, so half my Ironman, in case you're like, hey, I think I'd like to do that. Let me just tell you what you're in for. It's a 1.2-mile swim, 56-mile bike ride, and then you've got 13.1-mile little run, right? Just to kind of cool down, right? And so he's doing this, and he got through the swimming and the biking, and he's at the 13.1-mile run. And he's struggling, and he kind of settles up next to another guy. And he goes, hey, how you doing? And this guy just unloads. This was the worst decision I've ever made. I hate this. I, you know, and, and he was like, just like, has all this just negative thought just merging and flowing out of his mouth about how he hates this entire experience. And Lucado was thinking, like, I got to get away from this guy fast, or I'm going to give up as well. So he does. And so, you know, like, at this point in the race, you know, you're kind of, like, shuffling. And he kind of, like, moves forward. He, he catches up to a, a lady, an uh, older lady. She's 66 years old. She's a grandmother. And she's in the triathlon, and she's running. And he checks in with her. <sighs> How you doing? And she goes, well, you know, you're going to finish this. She can tell that you're struggling, right? You're going to finish this. And she goes, well, yeah, it's hot out here, but at least it's not raining. And she's like, and remember, Sonny, you need to hydrate, right? Keep drinking, right? And she's like super encouraging. And she's telling him how he's going to make it. And he says, you know, I like ran with this old lady as long, I don't know, if it was 66 old, excuse me, but he runs with her, the grandmother, okay? He's, he's running with her, and you know how he's running like this. And she says, my heart was full, and my legs were aching, and I had to kind of let up. And she goes, oh, you're going to make it, Sonny. And so, so he kind of stops and walks. And I'd like to just ask you, who do you, would you want to run the race with? The Igor back there, they're telling me, oh, you're not going to make it. This is terrible. I hate this. This is the worst decision. Or the person like, hey, yeah, this is tough, but at least it's not raining. Stay hydrated. You Keep at it. You're going to make it. You're going to finish. Well, I'll tell you which one I'm going to pick. I definitely want to run with the 66-year-old grandmother as far as I can make it, right? And in life, who do you want to run with? A person that's just like, oh, this is terrible. I hate all this. Oh, life doesn't make sense. You know, and, or the person like, you know what? Yeah, it is tough. But look at God. Look at the things that he's doing, how he's working. Why well, see... God even at work in you. Remember the promises of Scripture? Friends, spirit-filled people are the ones that are speaking like this. As you think back to this past week, think of all the times that you encouraged someone or prayed with them or prayed for them. Wrote them a a quick text. And if you're like, "Uh, gee, I don't recall any of those times. I want you to know all the times that we're doing that. Why, that's, that's the Spirit of God. And every time that we're depending and delighting upon him, he's, he's filling us and he's working through us. That is how it works. Think of the words and the cards and the notes and the emails and the texts that you can send. Friends, these make such a difference. This is spirit-filled behavior. And can I just ask you a question? If you are not going to talk of God or to encourage one another in the faith, to keep going, Can I ask, who will? If not you, who? Who's going to do it? Well, that's why God has given us a spirit. And that's why there's this command. Just regularly be filled with his spirit. And friends, if you've got, if you have someone that like is like regular, like knows your heart and can encourage you and does, friends, I want you to know that's really valuable. But I've found that very few people 
have someone, a friendship like that, they're just kind of going. And if you don't have a friendship like that, could I ask, are you a friend like that? And you're like, whoa, that would be a big change. That's what's happening today. Be filled with the Spirit. Let me show you something else that happens when we're filled with God's Spirit. We not only encourage one another, we exalt God with worship. Take a look at that verse again. He says, I want you to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, though, look at this, and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So we not only are speaking of the goodness and greatness of God, but we are singing of it. And it starts with your heart, because remember what Jesus said, a man speaks, Luke 6, 45, you need the verse, a man speaks from that which fills the heart. So whatever's going on inside your head, your heart, your inner being, your soul, that's going to flow out of your mouth. And so when you have, you're filled with the Spirit and the truth of God is resonating with you and you're yielded to Him, guess what? It will be reflected in your words. It will be reflected in your singing, in your worship. And singing songs of worship have a profound effect. They have a profound effect, first of all, on the worshiper. But they also have a profound effect on anyone who might hear. So I... You know, I've, I, I see this as a pastor. I, I have like a front row seat to see people praising God, especially in the midst of the storm. I think back to Ina Gordon, a, a dear lady. I think many of you remember her on our staff team. Love the Lord tremendously and fighting the battle of her life with cancer and just all the major difficulties that was for her. And yet to hear her sing, such depth to hear her pray all those times, whether I was praying with her personally or all the different times as we prayed together as a staff team for our church, and to hear this woman going through it and praising and praying to God. Friends, I want you to know that deeply encouraged me and left a strong impression. Friends, when we worship God when we're going through the storm, I want you to know our God is highly exalted and his people are greatly encouraged. And what is it that we sing? Well, he tells it right there. Psalms, the Psalms of the Scripture, the experiences that are written down. It is the hymnal of the Hebrew people. They sung these songs. This was a way of life. They knew them, many of them even by heart, because it fueled their faith in the living God. Hymns which speak to the praise and the honor of Christ and thanksgiving to God and oftentimes incorporated Scripture like in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 18, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. These verses were likely actually captured in their hymns. And spiritual songs, speaking of all sorts of doctrinal truth, spiritual realities, the truth of the word, God's experiences with his people. And I want you to know it's wide and various. And so when you're thinking like, well, what kind of songs would those be? Well, like Psalms, like we actually sung part of one today. Psalms like Psalm 23, Psalm 28 or 84. Um, hymns like a mighty fortress is our God or the old rugged cross or songs sung directly to God, like how great thou art. Those are hymns or spiritual songs. Speaking of Christian experience and truth, like, oh, how he loves you and me, or I'd rather have Jesus, or songs that speak of the Christian experience, like amazing grace. And I want you to know that there's all types of musical expression, and we see that right here in verse 19. Without you know, running the risk of oversimplifying matters, I really think 
that all the worship wars that the church has gone through over the ages, and they seem to kind of accelerate, I, I think that all would have gone to rest if we simply would have given ourselves to this text, to being filled with the Spirit, and to recognize that God is going to be worshipped through a diverse set of genres and expressions, that we're to speak one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. But I want you to know that if you think worship is about you, and like, well, this is my style, and if it's not my style, phew, I'm not going to sing, or I'm going to leave the church, or I'll just find out where I, where something that I like. Let me just tell you what that is. That is the consumer mindset. Worship, by the way, isn't about you. Do you know that? It's not even for you. Who's it for? Anybody know? If you got confusion on this, I want you to worship is for God, right? To have him lifted up and exalted. And I think all these worship wars and what we've put people through and the terrible things that have been said and done because of, of, of people's preferences, if we'd have been a little more biblical, that all goes away because our focus is back upon him. And so he says, I want you to do it from the heart. And I want you to know that worship music, what we sing, I want you to know it's so critically important because you remember what you sing. Did you know that? I mean, they've done studies on this. They can show this. I mean, think of it. There are songs that you haven't heard in 40-plus years, right? Like back in the 80s, and you hear that song, and you're like, you just sing right along. You know all the words. Are you kidding me? How do you know that? Or we could go back. I'm going to be careful how far I go back, 70s, 60s. I mean, there's stuff like, I haven't heard that song in 50 years, but you know all the words. How is that? Because that's how our brains are wired we retain that which we sing. We remember that which we express with musical singing expressions. I mean, so you can remember songs that you haven't sung or heard in 40, 50 years, but you can't remember your mother's birthday. Huh? How was that? Because I sung it. Well, you know, it's like, like the ABCs. We got like our little kids, right? We, we're unsuccessful. We go, okay, this is how it works. It's just A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and they're just like, but you're like, okay, let me give it to you in a song. A, B, C, D. I'm like, guess what? All of a sudden, our three-year-olds know the ABCs. How is that? Because you put it to music. That tells us that what you and I are singing, wow, that's so very important. Because it is what we remember, what we sing, and The songs that we sing shape our identity and our community. They fill us with hope, truth, perspective. And so that's what God wants. He wants his people filled with his spirit, and that will express worship to him. It's in our singing, in our speaking, that we are going to have a clear vision of God. And the worship of God is in a response to who he is what he's done, what he's doing, his promises, his goodness, his greatness. They say that one of the most beautiful places in the world is Yosemite Valley. And you go through the Wawona Tunnel in the south entrance. It was a tunnel, by the way. I think it's the largest tunnel in California. It took them two years to go through that granite mountain. It's 4,233 feet. So you're in this dark tunnel, and you're driving through. But when you come out... All of a sudden, voila, this is what you see. You see El Capitan, Half Dome, and Bridal Veil Falls. 
and it'll take your breath away. And so they have this big parking lot right after you get out of the tunnel. So you've been driving in darkness, right? You pull out. Whoa! And so you quickly, you go to the parking lot. Everybody's bailing out. They're getting the camera, the phone, right? The kids are all pulling out, and everybody is ooing and aahing. Why? Because it is just absolutely fabulous. But what if you drove through the long tunnel, came out of the darkness, and you drove out, and there was fog, and you saw this? Uh, well, you have a very different response. There's not a lot of bunch of people like pulling into the parking lot and bailing out of their car, grabbing their phones, getting their kids. Hey, everybody, get the family picture. Here's our Christmas card right here. No, that people aren't doing that. You know why? Because they, they can't really see anything. They're just kind of missing it. It's just, just like, whoa, there's nothing there, right? I want you to know that that is a lot like worship. When you see the goodness and the grandeur and the awesomeness of God and the excellencies of Jesus, you know what? Our hearts are, bring about worship. Worship is drawn from us as a result of us beholding the goodness of God. But I want you to know that the fog of sin keeps us from seeing the greatness of God. The fog of sin, unbelief, the worries of this world, pride, greed, unchecked lust. And what happens is, is all of a sudden we just we can't really see and hence, we don't worship very well. And I know what it's like to live in the fog. So do you. So what do we do? We know the realities of the truth, the truth of the gospel. We know the importance of worship. So when you don't feel like worshiping, ask God, would you help me? Ask Christ, would you once again Fill me with your spirit. Awaken me to the glorious realities of who you are, the power of the gospel, and watch as the fog starts to break up. But don't just go passive and just like, well, I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to do anything. No, I want you to know that God is intended and created you to be a worshiper of him. And he'll help you. He'll address your sin issues. That's why we confess sin every Sunday as a church, because hopefully it's happening throughout the week. It's why we talk about the word, read the word, we sing about it. It's so that we'll see the glories of God. God is exalted with worship. And we do so when we're filled with his spirit. Let me show you something else when we're filled with his spirit. And that is we will express thanks. Look at verse 20. Not only are we singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, but look at verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. When you and I are filled with God's Spirit, when we are dependent upon him, delighting upon him, telling him and asking him, Lord, would you fill me? We will be giving thanks for all things. Not just some things, but gratitude becomes a way of life. And it's not just gratitude. Now, I like it when people say, hey, I just am really grateful. And that's good. I would rather have grateful than a lot of other expressions. But as Christians, we are grateful to God, grateful to Christ. Do you see that in verse 20? I don't want you to miss this because we need to express gratitude in ways that reflect being filled with his spirit. We are giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord, sovereign, universal ruler, Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So through Christ to the Father, we're expressing thanksgiving. And so 
when you're grateful, it's good to say, man, I'm just really grateful. I got a lot of gratitude. But add this, I am grateful to the one who has given all these things. Grateful to God. Grateful to Christ. Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, an author, uh, she's been a paraplegic her entire adult life. This is a woman just of immense and inspiring faith. She's also a woman that has faced a lot of battles with depression. And she, I mean, she is just an inspiration to watch. But when you hear her speak, I tell you what, it just fuels your faith. And she's given us a lot of great statements. And I just want to give you one where she said this, giving thanks is not a matter of feeling thankful. It is a matter of obedience. You may not always feel thankful, but it is a matter of obedience. And you're like, I don't feel really thankful. Uh, I got a lot of challenges and a lot of difficulties. Um, Ed Dobson, uh, he's a former pastor. In the fall of 2000, he was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. It's a degenerative disease. There is no known cure. And he died December 26, 2015. In 2012, uh, he had a book written, and it was the book Seeing Through the Fog. And he shared his ongoing struggle of giving thanks while living with an incurable condition. And in it, he had written, as he dictated this book, this, quote, There are many things for which I am not grateful. I can no longer button the buttons on my shirt. I can no longer put on a heavy jacket. I can no longer raise my right hand above my head. I can no longer write. I can no longer eat with my right hand. I eat with my left hand. And now even that is becoming a challenge. And over time, all these challenges will get worse and worse. So what in the world do I have to be grateful for? So much. Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. Lord, thank you that I can turn over in my bed. Lord, thank you that I can still get out of bed. Lord, thank you that I can walk to the bathroom. Lord, thank you that I can still brush my teeth. Lord, thank you that I can still eat breakfast. Lord, thank you that I can still dress myself. Lord, thank you that I can still drive my car. Lord, thank you that I can still walk. Lord, thank you that I can still talk. And the list goes on and on. I have learned in my journey with ALS to focus on what I can do, not on what I can't do. I have learned to be grateful for the small things in my life and for the many things I still can do. I want you to know every time you and I express thankfulness to God, why that's just a manifestation of being filled with the Spirit. And especially in those times where you're going through the storm and you're giving thanks, why don't I want you to know that's an expression of the Spirit of God working through your life. Just looking around, I know some of you are going through some serious, extreme difficulty. And you might be looking like, how could that guy be giving thanks and singing praises of worship? He's going to have brain surgery soon. I want you to know how. Because he is filled with the Spirit. It's the secret of living the fullness of the Christian life. But I will tell you this. This is what's going to keep you and I from giving a lot of gratitude. I can give it to you in one word. Entitlement. The entitlement mindset produces ingratitude. And by the way, just ingratitude, that's how the non-believer goes through life. Like, remember in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
You know what the Bible's word for ingratitude is? It's grumbling. That's what it is, grumbling. You see, growing in gratitude does not come from the acquisition of more things, but it comes from a greater awareness of God's presence and his goodness. More things, more toys, that's not going to make you more grateful. It usually has the opposite effect. It's the awareness of God, his goodness, and his presence. This is what evokes gratitude. This is spirit-filled. You know, it's kind of like this. Let's say right after service there, someone grabs you in the foyer and says, hey, hey, can I just have you for just a minute here? There's, there's something I want to show you here. And you're thinking like, okay, I wonder what they want me to do. And they, say, they pull you out here into the parking lot and they say, hey, look, can you see that car with the bow? And it's like this really beautiful new car. And they're like, yeah. And the, and the guy says, guess what? It's yours. I'm giving to you as a gift. Here are the car keys. How would you respond? You're like, whoa, are you kidding me? No, you're kidding me. No, don't tease me like this, right? No, I'm, I'm, this is my gift to you. I mean, you're going to be filled with gratitude. You have never had such a nice ride. And you are going to express that gratitude. But on the other hand, if you're like, you go to a dealership, you see that exact same car, and you pay the sticker price plus the extra $2,000 that we're tagging on these days for that car, and they go, here, here you go, there's the keys. You're not going to like just fall down on your knees and go like, oh, thank you so much. That means so much to me. You are the most generous person. I can't believe you've done this for me. Would you? No. You're just like, okay, great, thanks. You paid for it, right? And you deserve it right? You paid for it. It's your car. Well, I want you to know that if you are a person that feels rather entitled, guess what? You don't express a lot of gratitude. In fact, we could say this, the bigger your sense of entitlement, the smaller our sense of gratitude. But being filled with the Spirit brings a humility of heart, and that's where gratitude comes. Let me just, in closing, show you one other thing. When we're filled with the Spirit, verse 21, we'll be engaging each other with humility and respect. Verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This sets up all that's coming about husbands, wives, children, parenting. I want you to know that the only way that we will ever truly have healthy relationships is if we will subject ourselves to one another like it says. We are going to actually care for one another and express Not there's no superiority, no one is greater than another individual, but because of Christ, we will actually yield to one another. And I will tell you that takes humility, and we'll do so because of the fear of Christ. He's the Lord of our life. And we flourish in life as we're filled with God's Spirit. And friends, that's what God wants us to do, to flourish. And the only way that happens is if we're filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just the precious, awesome power of your word. Father, if there's someone here today who's never trusted in Jesus Christ, would they just pray with me and say, God, I turn from myself and my sin. I need forgiveness. I need you to fill me. And Lord, for all of us who do know you, Lord, would we on just a regular, ongoing basis yield to you, delight in you, depend upon you, glorify you, walking in your spirit, seeing your goodness, and expressing your life through the life that you've given us. For your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.